I'm curious, do you have a really great BS detector? You're, maybe you're often skeptical of others. Are you really street smart? Would you say you're pretty self-assured? You often find yourself being the leader in the group. Maybe you even struggle to ask for help. Do you love a good challenge? Do you fight really hard for the causes you believe in? Do you have a great sense of humor? I bet you're a blast. You might have thought that these were all parts of your personality, but they might actually be coping mechanisms you've picked up over the course of your life, and they're having a huge impact on how you show up, especially on this motherhood journey. Are you curious to know more? You got to take my personality patterns quiz. Here's what's going on. When you were a child, whenever an experience overwhelmed your nervous system, you subconsciously built a defense against that overwhelm. Over time, those defenses became a habit and then they became a pattern. And now as an adult, what we think of as our personality is often this defense pattern running the show. It's so interesting, right? There are five different personality patterns and they're not personality types like the Enneagram or the Myers-Briggs but rather they describe the safety strategies that we immediately go to when we start to feel overwhelmed. They don't describe who we are so much as what's blocking who we are. The good news is that once you take my quiz and learn about your pattern, you can learn skills to break out of that pattern, and then you can live and parent your kids as your true and authentic self. Click on the quiz link in the show notes or go to michellegrosser.com forward slash quiz now to take my two-minute personality pattern quiz. But I also say, just do the best that you can. And when you feel right, when you feel good about thinking that what you're doing is the right thing for your child, you will be the best parent for your child. And that's more important than anything else because a parent who feels guilty about what they did, oh my God, I, I did this and I wasn't supposed to. That's worse for your child than doing the thing that you quote unquote weren't supposed to. Welcome back to the Motherhood Podcast a live workshop-style podcast that is helping thousands of moms redefine their motherhood journey. There was a point in my life when I was trying to do all the things, parent my kids, pour into my marriage, run a busy law practice, keep up my home, and what I found was that I was on the fast track to burnout until I discovered a better way. Now I help women just like you to close the gap between their vision of motherhood and what they're actually experiencing in their day-to-day lives. Together, we'll explore when and where to simplify, systemize, and surrender. I promise you, you're already doing so much better than you think. I'm your coach, Michelle Grosser, and this is Motherhood. Welcome back to the Motherhood Podcast. I'm your coach, Michelle Grosser, and today we have an interview with a woman who I would venture to say has probably had an impact on all of our parenting journeys. Every single mom listening, I bet you are familiar with our guest work today. Today on the podcast, we have Sharon Maisel, and she's a parenting and pregnancy expert. She's an author. She's a journalist, speaker, parenting coach. She's also a mom of four, and she has over two decades of experience in the field. And if you take a look on your bookshelf, you probably have a book that she's co-authored. She's the co-author of the best-selling What to Expect When You're Expecting, the fourth and fifth editions, and What to Expect the First Year, the second and third editions. And she's also helped co-author seven other books and editions in the What to Expect series. 
I know when I look over at my bookshelf, I have a whole section of it, um, of her book. So we are in for a treat today. And more than all that, she's also the author of the forthcoming book called Bite-Sized Parenting. It's going to come out in spring of this coming year. It's available for pre-order now. Um, Man, you guys can find her anywhere and everywhere. Her social media has been called one of the most educational Instagram accounts for new parents, Um, one of the best Instagram accounts for new moms. She's always putting out content. Uh, She does one-on-one coaching, so she's just so available for all of us, and I'm so grateful for her. You are going to get a lot out of this interview. Enjoy. Sharon, welcome to the Motherhood Podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Michelle. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, it's such a pleasure. I know for me and my motherhood journey, the books that you have been a part of um, and just the coaching and uh, your authority in this role of motherhood has been incredible. Uh, I have your books on my shelf with they're all dog-eared and they're all highlighted. So I'm just so grateful for what you've contributed to moms everywhere, really. Thank you. That's so sweet of you. Yeah, I love doing what I do as a parenting expert, a pregnancy expert, really reaching new parents. It's it's um, it's it's very rewarding. And I love being able to do this for, gosh, over over two decades already. Incredible. So tell the listeners just a little bit. I mean, I'm sure they have an idea, at least on they they all know the books. Um, But tell us a little bit bigger picture, I guess, just about your journey and then the kind of things that you're working on now, which are really exciting, too. Sure, absolutely. So I have a master's in journalism from Columbia University, and I always, um, my plan was always to work as a journalist, uh, particularly in television, and I was doing that for over five years. I was a writer and producer for Nightly News in in New York City, and I loved it. This was, you know, the the best thing ever, right? The fast-paced TV world of journalism. And um, my hours were, were crazy because I was doing Nightly News, and when my first child was born, I realized this isn't so compatible with my mom but being a mom. And I think that a lot of parents can relate to that, this, this sense of na- navigating your career with um, your family that you're growing. And so um, I made the very difficult decision to leave the world of television journalism, journalism and um, and which was good for me, both when I had one child and then two and eventually four. <laughs> um, I'm a mom of four. And so I was really able to carve out for myself as a journalist, which I switched to writing for numerous publications as an author, as a producer of video series. Um, and I was able to do that. And so I was very, very lucky um, to be able to 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 carve for myself a career still within my chosen profession with my four kids. And um, I was really lucky that um, I was hired by one of the original authors of the um, What to Expect book series. Um, And I was hired originally as a research consultant and writer and eventually my role developed into uh, becoming the listed co-author of 11 books, new books and editions in the series. And I did that until November 2019 when I resigned. And so I did that for over, um, uh, I was with the What to Expect brand for over 20 years, and it was really wonderful to be able to do that. And um, when I left the brand, I was trying to figure out what I'm going to do next. And it was right before the pandemic, right? The end of 2019, beginning of of 2020, as we all know. And I was realizing um, that I still had this opportunity to be able to reach today's generation of new parents 
in, in different ways and formats that maybe were more applicable to, uh, to, to today's younger generation. And especially when the pandemic hit and everybody was, was isolated and you had a lot of new moms and dads who had babies alone um, yes. and, and they had to raise these babies alone. And so I was able to focus a lot of my attention on social media and I'm like thrilled to be able to reach, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers on, on my Instagram account. And I realized that that parents learn, all people, but, uh, you know, particularly parents learn in different ways. So some like to learn visually, some like to learn auditorily. So I really started to create and carve a lot of content that hit these different ways of, of learning. So I have courses, if someone wants to, as a visual learner or an auditory learner, I have my infographics, I have blogs, I have, I do coaching for one-on-one, -on -one, that one-on-one -on -one interaction, which um, I know that parents love, you know, every parent has these questions. So to be able to work with an expert one-on-one -on -one is great. And I'm writing a brand new book called Bite Size Parenting. It's coming out um, in the spring of 2023. I'm really excited about it because it kind of takes all these things that I just mentioned um, to, to give parents what they want, the essentials, the, the answers to their questions for the big parenting questions, but in a format that they get to choose. I, I call it like a choose your own adventure. So if you have a little bit of time and you have a question and you just need really fast answers, I present it to you in, with illustrations so you can just get your bite-sized information. But then if you have a little more time and you want to do a deeper dive into the in, into that particular topic, you can because I, I, I offer that as well. And so it's a great book that I'm really excited about and um, I'm sure will will really be very helpful for new moms and dads. And, and really, I feel like it encapsulates what I say all the time to parents that as a parent, you get to choose what works for you. So this, that's why I like this choose your own adventure book, but you get to choose what works for you as a parent. It doesn't matter what your best friend is doing or what social media is telling you what to do or what you read online. If it doesn't feel right for you, then it's not right for you as a parent. And so you get to choose what makes the most sense. This is aside from safety considerations, of course, yeah. but everything else, like really anything goes. And if it feels right for you, then that's the best way to parent for you and your child. Yeah, I love that. Um, something that that kind of was making me think of is like, yes, all of us parent differently and we parent differently within our families and, and kind of like how we learn differently, parent different. But something that I'm quickly realizing with a four and a five-year-old is that I even parent my own children differently. So there's probably different resources there too, that something might work for my oldest with her personality that doesn't necessarily work for my second, just different kids in the same house. It kind of blows my mind sometimes. It, I, I love that point that you just made because it's so true, right? And certainly if you're talking about the same gene pool, right? If you're the same yeah. mom and dad, and then you yeah. just expect that your second or third or, you know, fifth child is going to be the same as the other ones. And, and it's a, such a great reminder for us parents that every child is an individual, even if they look alike, even if they're twins, right? Even yeah. if they have the same genetic pool, they're just different and individual and they're unique. And that's something to celebrate. And and it's a learning process for parents, right? We, you know, and I remember with my first, she was the, she was just easy, right? What we would call all, all babies, I think are easy, but she was, you know, what, what, what society would define as easy and I'm patting myself on the back. I'm like, oh, I'm such a great parent. And then my second child was born and she was a wonderful, she is a wonderful child, but she was very different from, you know, she didn't sleep as well. She she was very active. She was literally running at, at eight and a half months. Wow. So I thought, wait, I realized, wait a second, it's not so much about me. You know, every child is an individual. And as a parent, 
I have to be able to parent each child individually and to celebrate their uniqueness. And so I'm not, I have to stop comparing, right? Oh, well, the older one did it this way, therefore the second one should do it that way. No, it's not true. They are different people, just as different as you and I are, right? So, so, and I think that that's something so wonderful. Like once, once we as parents can, can really like absorb that and internalize that, and then it, it's sometimes frustrating, right? But, yes. but you can also celebrate it and say, isn't it wonderful that I have these one, you know, these two or three or however many children you end up having, these wonderful individuals who are going to grow into being incredible adults um, in, in unique and different ways. And, and I think that that's such, such a wonderful thing. It makes me smile just thinking about it. it really <laughs> I is. also have the, my kids are older now, so I also have the perspective. <laughs> yeah. And so that, that helps as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then I think another aspect of the beauty of it too, is that they teach us such different things. Right. Like, man, I know that they pull like mirror in me and pull things out of me differently. They need different things from me. Um, so they're actually both pushing me to grow as a better parent, just in really different ways. Yes. Oh, that's so beautiful because it's so true. Right. If you have a child that tests your patience, then you get to learn patience as a parent. If you have a child who who doesn't test your patience because they listen all the time, then that brings out something else in you as a parent. And, and maybe instead of being rigid, you can add a little more flexibility, right? So we, you're right. It's a growing process as a parent as well. And, 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 and it, it, you get that because each child is different. So I, I love that point, Michelle. That's cool. Um, so then maybe we have a myth that our kids are all going to be the same because they come from the same gene pool, at least initially, right? When we have a first and then maybe a second. What are some of the other myths that you kind of come across? Like in decades of doing this, there's probably some trends, I guess, or myths that you see over and over that you're like, man, I gotta, I'm, I'm going to be part of busting this one. Like, <laughs> what are some things that moms maybe are expecting that just aren't real or true? So there's so many little myths about about you know small distinct things, how to feed solids, what the best way to to get your child to sleep. But I think one of the largest um, myth that really impacts probably every new parent, um, and it's really difficult because it's it's something that society places in terms of a pressure on us, and that is that you're going to love and bond with and feel attached to your baby the second that baby is born. And, and it's true that for some parents, it is that way. But for most parents, probably, you've just gone through labor. Um, and if you're the dad, you've just watched uh, your partner go through labor. Um, and, and you're handed this baby who is puffy and, and the eyes are squinty and they're crying and they're not so cute. And they don't, they don't you know, they, they don't match your, your dreams of what that baby was going to look like. And then, and then they tell you, okay, go ahead and parent. And you think, first of all, I'm exhausted. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm overwhelmed. I'm scared. And I don't really feel this connection to this child. And then the guilt sets in, right? Because I'm a mom now, or I'm a dad now, I should feel that connection. And, And of course, social media, which is, I think, wonderful in so many ways is also detrimental because we see celebrities or just regular moms and dads who are posting their their very curated pictures of bliss and joy with this brand new newborn. And the reality is, is that most parents don't feel that way right away. They just don't. And something that I always try to remind parents is that, and we, as we just discussed, it's a learning process for both the baby and for us as parents. And we get to learn how to feel attached to our child, how to feel connected. And, and you know, we know from psychology that in a in a loving relationship, love is really about, or one of the things that love is about is about giving 
And as a parent, all you're doing really is giving to that newborn in the beginning. And the more that we give, the more that we enjoy the giving or even hate the giving, which will sometimes happen, especially at two o'clock in the morning. But the more that we give, the more we feel attached to that child. And so our love and attachment and connection and bonding with that baby happens over time. It's not this instantaneous, oh, you know, the heavens open up and we feel, you know, this contentment in motherhood. It happens over time. And Sometimes you will feel content as a mom or a dad, and sometimes you won't, and that's normal too. And so I think that allowing this under, first of all, understanding it, and then allowing ourselves as parents some grace to be able to say, we're going to have good days and bad days. We're going to really love our child one day and not, not be so happy with them another day. And that's okay because they're humans, we're humans. We're going to have ups and downs. That doesn't take away from the love that we do have for our child, even when they're tantruming and screaming, and we don't really love them at that particular moment. So I think that that's a big myth, like a big overarching myth um, that I I would love to debunk right here, right now. Yeah, Yeah, I think that's so beautiful. And I think it just gives women permission to feel what they're feeling. Like they don't have to force it. The mom guilt doesn't have to start on moment, you know, five minutes into motherhood. Like it really just gives them permission to embrace it and understand that this is going to be I mean, you're with adult children now, like an ever evolving journey of motherhood. It always changes. Yes, it is a journey. And every stage brings new excitement and new challenges. And um, and, and it's part of the journey. And so it, it's you'll you'll love your children in so many ways and in so many different ways over the course of their their lives. And so that's, uh, and I'm still, you know, yes, my kids are older now, but I'm still learning um, and, and appreciating them and, and feeling grateful for them in different ways. So um, as they grow up, so it's, it's a, the journey has many wonderful moments, many frustrating moments, many challenging moments, but if we can really focus on the positives um, that will help us get through the negatives. And there are many, I don't want to sugarcoat it. There are many um, challenging times of parenting, especially in the beginning, which is what I focus on. I focus on that newborn stage. I focus on the first year, the toddler years. Um, it's it's challenging. It's challenging and it's overwhelming. I remember one of my like lowest lows that I remember was with when my first was born. And I think I was probably like now looking back, dealing with some postpartum depression that I didn't see in the moment. But I remember that it was like, three in the morning and just sitting in my dark apartment in my rocking chair by myself, breastfeeding the baby and just crying and thinking like, I'm never alone anymore. And I've never felt more lonely before. Like this weird dichotomy of like never alone, but so lonely. And I think that initial period of motherhood with a newborn can be so overwhelming in a lot of ways, like the things to do and not do and everyone's opinion and voices. But I would just love for you to speak to the moms who are pregnant or have real newborns and are in that sense of overwhelm with really young kids. Um, like, what would you say to them? So first I would say you are not alone. And, and I, and it's such a beautiful way that you described it. You're, you're, you're not alone, right? You're holding this baby, but you feel lonely. It is very lonely. And it's also lonely in your emotions because whether you have postpartum depression or baby blues or postpartum anxiety or any kind of, um, any kind of emotions, which we all have, yeah. um, it feels very lonely. And you feel like, gosh, everybody else is smiling, pushing their baby carriages, and I'm just really unhappy. Everyone else has babies who sleep through the night, and my baby's waking up every two hours. But it's really not true, because everybody is struggling. I have never met a 
a mom of a newborn who isn't struggling in some way. It may not be the same way that I was struggling or that you were struggling, but everybody's struggling because it is overwhelming. It's really one of the most overwhelming times of parenthood in a, in a different way. I always say, you know, in the beginning, the first couple of years, let's say the first 10 years of parenthood, it's very, you're physically needed. It's very physical. And then once they're 10 years and they get into their teenage years, the kids, it's less physical, but it's much more um, emotional and, and uh, you know, and that mental energy. Yeah. So, so it's overwhelming throughout, throughout parenting. But in those first six to eight weeks, that newborn stage, it's overwhelming, especially if you're a first time parent, because you've never done this before. You are being thrust into one of the hardest jobs ever. And um, you're being told to just, you know, wing it, really. And so um, it's overwhelming. There's a lot of people giving you advice. Some of it's wonderful. Some of it's not great. And you you don't feel good, right? You, you just had a baby. You're getting no sleep. I mean, think about like if we were, you know, not parents of newborns and just waking up every two hours and 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 not sleeping more than, you know, an hour and a half stretch at a time, that's not healthy. So, <laughs> so there's like, so there's just overwhelm from the physical reality of what a parent of a newborn is going through. Then there's the emotional upheaval of your hormones, you know, just if you've just delivered your baby and it's very, very overwhelming. And um, what, you know, I always, I always find it so interesting that, that many parents to be many pregnant um, moms and dads don't hesitate to take a course, let's say for, you know, childbirth. Right. It's, it's, and I'm not discounting that it's a great thing to do, but that's 12, 12 hours on average of your, of your life. But then you have eight weeks to care for this baby. It's, it's actually why I have newborn course, a newborn one-on-one course. It's a prep course for parents, um, for, you know, and I, and I always recommend take it to, you know, towards the end of your pregnancy so that you know what to expect, what's coming down the pike, what, what you need to do when your baby's crying because your baby will cry how to discern what your baby's cries sound like, the differences between them. So you know if he's hungry or if she's tired, um, how to feed your baby. Breastfeeding, if you choose to do that, is, is something that's very natural, but it doesn't always come easily to, to new moms. And so my course has a full hands-on, I have a, a, a baby doll that I use to demonstrate so that, so that moms who are going to nurse or try to nurse have some, some uh, you know, pre pre understanding of what's to come um feeding the baby whether you're you're breastfeeding or bottle feeding is huge sleep how to deal with sleep of a newborn which is going to be very different than sleep for a six-month-old and so i i always suggest to to parents to be to try to learn something it doesn't don't don't make yourself overwhelmed because there's tons of information out there and too much information sometimes is as if there's no information at all because it's too overwhelming but if you could take a course, if you can read um, one chapter in a book, if you can speak to a, to a coach who can give you sort of the highlights, that at least will prepare you somewhat. You'll never be fully prepared, but it will prepare you somewhat so that then you will feel a little less overwhelmed in the beginning. The overwhelm is real and it's going to happen even if you're the most prepared um, parent in the world. It's going to happen because, as we said before, every baby is different. So even if you're a second timer or a third timer, um, your newborn is going to be different than your previous newborn. And um, I mean, maybe maybe when you're a second time uh, parent, you won't be as nervous about like, you know, is my baby's poop color? Yeah. <laughs> you know, is that really scary? That's green or it's, you know, brown or or yellow. Like, what does that mean? Um, so you'll you'll be a little more familiar with at least those kind of things. But um, but it is overwhelming. And so, you know, I always suggest to just take a deep breath. You know, it's only eight weeks. Um, it will pass. You will sleep again. Your baby will sleep eventually. 
um, your body will start to feel like your own again. Um, take it one day at a time. Um, it, it seems like forever. The days are long, but it's only eight weeks. And you will look back and say, wow, look at me. I am a warrior because I got through that. Yeah, one day at a time, right? That's such a good reminder. Hey friend, have you ever wondered what it'd be like to work with a life coach? Maybe you've wondered if it's worth your time or your money, or maybe you're not sure what you'd actually learn. Well, I've got some really big news for you. It's called 100 by 100. And on November 1st, so yesterday, if you're listening in real time, we opened up a very limited number of spots for me to coach a few women one-on-one for only $100. Yes, you heard that right. For less than the cost of a night out, you can have two 50-minute coaching sessions with me, 100 minutes for $100. It's the perfect way for you to get a feel for what it's like to work with me without having to make any big commitment. So click on the link in the show notes, head on over to our website where you can find the 100 by 100 packages. We're only offering 15 of these. So first come, first serve. When they're gone, they're gone. So head on over now. I would love to work with you. So when I was pregnant for my first in particular, there was like a couple of friends of mine that were also pregnant. So we kind of had this motherhood journey or entering into motherhood together at the same time, which was such a blessing in so many ways. Um, But something that I quickly noticed is then we all had these, you know, apps on our phones for all the milestones. And all of a sudden you're kind of comparing this one's sitting up and this one's rolling over and this one's, you know, starting to take some steps or pull themselves to standing all at different stages. And I think sometimes when we live by these apps or these books that give us you know, maybe we don't even see the range. We just see like this, this day. Um, and it's not happening. I guess I would just like some advice from an expert. Like how much should we hold on to all of these milestones that we see everywhere? Um, how much pressure should we allow that to put on ourselves? Like what do we make of all this? It's it's such a great question. And it's one that so many parents have because because we, we, as people, we want markers. We want to be able to say, oh, I'm doing great. My child's doing great. And so these milestones and these apps um, and these charts are great to an extent. They're great because it helps us. First of all, it's great because if our child is not meeting um, milestones, then it helps us flag that and it helps get our children the help that they need. Because the early, the earlier that we can um see if there's any kind of developmental delays or any kind of physical delays, we can get um, for our children the help that they need. And then that could really even the playing field later on. So it they're, they're important to an extent though, right? Because if it starts to take over our lives, if we're looking at the milestone charts or the apps and saying, oh my gosh, my baby is four and a half months old and she's not rolling over yet. Or my baby is eight months old and he's not crawling. Um, It's so important to remember that, again, and we talked about this earlier, every baby is different. And the range of normal when it comes to these milestones is so wide. It's so wide. So when you talk about, let's say, taking those first steps, yes, the average is around the first birthday, around 12 months. But you can have babies starting to take those first steps at nine months or 15 or even 18 months. And all of that is considered normal. So that's a very, very, we're talking almost nine months of a wide range, just your entire pregnancy. So it's important to remember that, that just because your baby is not doing the average, which is that 50 percentile, 50th percentile, 
your, your child may be in the second percentile and that's still normal. It's still a percentile. Um, the same with growth, right? That, you know, you, you see, you look at the baby who's the same age as yours and yours is, you know, this little tiny, you know, nothing. And that baby is this big, chunky, you know, hefty baby. And you think, oh my God, is my milk not, not good enough? Am I not feeding properly? Right. We have all that, those worries and that anxiety and, and the guilt. And it's important to remember that the only thing, certainly when it comes to um, to weight and length growth, um, is to measure your baby against his or her own chart, his or her own percentile. Babies come in all shapes and sizes. And so a baby who's in the fifth percentile is still very normal as, as a 95th percentile baby. It doesn't mean that, um, you know, just, just as adults come in all shapes and sizes. And so, so it's important to remember, let's not look at one baby to the other. Compare your baby to, to your baby. So if she is growing, wonderful. If he has progressed from one milestone to another, amazing. Like that's what we're looking for. And we've talked a lot um, a lot today about the journey, right? And so watch the journey of progression. Like look, instead of saying, oh, did they hit that milestone yet? Look at how your child is getting to that milestone. Look at how she's really trying to roll over, heft her body over. That's a big deal. And that may take a couple of weeks. So that journey of, of learning is, is what we could focus on because that's so incredible to watch and to see. Again, it's sometimes it's hard when you're mired in it, but if you can, when you can, take a step back and just marvel at what your child is accomplishing instead of worrying he didn't accomplish that yet or she's nowhere near getting to, to be where another baby is already at. Watch the journey. It's, it's, it's really fascinating. I love that marveling at where they're at, right? Instead of where we maybe expect them to be or see others. And that's probably something even with just kids who are four and five that I could still be applying, right? Just marveling like they're learning to spell or they're learning to think all of these things that maybe they're not where everyone else is at, but marveling at their their place in their journey. Exactly. And it's about the small things and the big, big things. So I mentioned things like walking. That's a big thing. But tying a shoe, let's say, or, or putting on a sock or being able to put a coat on or zipper or all these small things that seem, you know, not so monumental to us. They are monumental uh, to a child who's doing it for the first time, who's worked really hard to be able to master that. That's an amazing accomplishment. And so, um, you know, really celebrating that, celebrating the journey, the progress is, 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 is a good reminder for us. And again, I, I, I never want to be a Pollyanna, like say, you know, oh, you ha always have to stop and smell the roses. It's hard to do. You are trying to get your kids out the door in the morning. You don't care if they've zippered their coat on their own. But in those small moments when we do have a time to take a deep breath and say, wow, he zippered his coat this morning. That's uh, He didn't do that last time. That's really incredible. So find the time to celebrate it when you can. Yeah, I love that. When you can. And I, and even for myself, sometimes I try to look at my trends. Like maybe I don't get, maybe I don't notice it or get it right every morning. But when I do, then I can give myself even some credit for that and that I'm trending in my own journey. Exactly. Exactly. Because you're raising kids who are now capable of zip, zipping up their coat to use yeah. that example right your job all of our jobs as parents is to provide the right environment for our kids to be able to give them the environment for growth and for learning the opportunities for physical and emotional and and you know small and large motor skill opportunities this is what our job is and then we have to let our child um, take that opportunity and grow with it. And so if we can marvel at that, because we've done our job, but we can marvel at their progression, at their advancement, then um, then that's something to be proud of for ourselves. Mm, yeah. One of the big 
milestones in the past couple of years, I guess, in our home has been potty training. <laughs> and I have two girls and one of my best friends has two boys. And that has been a wildly different journey for both of us. And for me, both my kids potty trained, I guess, when we're talking milestones, like really late, like my youngest was like almost three and a half, I think, before she was potty trained. Um, but I know a lot of our listeners have young toddlers and maybe are either in it or going to be in it soon. Um, and as an expert, like when, I guess, what are some things we can look out for to know when our kids are ready? So we're not, you know, forcing them into something they're just not ready for. And then how should we begin that process? Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. Cause you said that she was a late potty trainer and I think you said she was 36 months or, but the average for girls is actually 35 months. So, oh, okay. Here I go again. And that actually goes back to what we were talking about before, right? We hold these numbers of, you know, what our kids should be doing and where they should be. And then we, we rate our kids. Oh, she was late. She was early. Um, And, and, and we all do it. I do it all the time. So uh, we all do it. But sometimes again, when we take that step back and we, we say, oh my gosh, she was totally within that range. That's like amazing. Right. (laughs) So, um, so yeah, so 35 months is the average for girls and 39 months is the average for boys. Again, average, the range is very wide. Um, It does. It's interesting. You brought up, you know, the difference between boys and girls. So boys do take a little longer um, than girls do in in so many things actually. Um, But certainly in potty training. I I think um, one thing also that's important for parents to to know, because you mentioned, you know, young parents with young toddlers, you could certainly start trying to potty train um, at any age. But if you're starting before age two, um, it will take a lot longer than um, if you if you start trying after age two. And so sometimes we're very eager as parents, and I've done this four times. <laughs> I, get, I know I get I get the, the impetus to try to get them out of diapers and and onto the toilet, but um, but it, not only should we be patient in terms of when when we start, but also patient in the process because it is a long process. So even if you start because your child, your toddler shows all the signs, which I'll, I'll mention in a second, but even if if everything seems like you know we're ready set go it still will t- will take months and it will take months of forward and backwards progression um so it will be it's it's definitely a two step forward one step back process um and something to remember is to let you know we should give our children the opportunity um offer it to them let them have the opportunity to try to use the the potty the potty seat or the toilet um whatever you choose but um, but they're going to have to take that step themselves. They're the ones who are going to have to learn how to listen to their body signals. And anything that we do or everything that we do isn't necessarily going to push it faster if they're not ready. So, And we could talk about that a little more, but you, you asked for some of the signs. So, um, so if your child can stay dry, right, is not peeing or pooping in the diaper for around, let's say, two hours, that's one of the signs to look for. Um, a child needs to understand the words for toilet, for poop, for pee, for, you know, potty, whatever the words are that you use in your family. Um, it's important because it's communicating that both understanding what you're saying and then what you're hearing from them is, is important um, to be able to start the process. Another reason why sometimes it doesn't make sense to do it um, very early in, in yeah. the toddler years. Um being aware that she's about to poop that's you know and sometimes you'll see a child even if they just grunt or go into a corner or or you know make a funny face that already is is a sign um the ability to be able to 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 pull their pants down their underpants their diaper their pull up whatever it is that will be important because remember we're talking about potty training the child not the parent so there's a there's a technique called elimination communication which is 
early potty training, which again, you're the parent, you get to choose whatever you want to do. But I, when parents talk to me about that, I say, that's fine. You can certainly try to train your nine-month-old. But remember, you're training yourself more than you're training your baby. Because the way that that works is that when the parent sees that the child is about to you know, poop or pee, that then they take the child and, and hold them over the potty or hold them over the, um, the toilet seat. And so that's fine. And it helps to, um, to, it helps the child to learn the association between, between using the bathroom with using the bathroom, yeah. um, but you're training the parents, right? So, but if we're talking about later toilet training, then we're training the child or we're, that's the goal. And so, um, so, your child needs to be able to do the motions to pull those pants down, um, to know when she needs to go to the bathroom. Um, another sign would be if she doesn't like to be wet, right? If he doesn't like to have a wet diaper, you know, some children will, as soon as they pee or they poop, will say diaper off. And um, that's a great sign. And, and it, it's an opening for you as a parent to say, oh, diaper off. Let's, let, you know, next time we can try it in the potty, right? Offer the opportunity. Don't push, offer the opportunity. Um, and, and so those are just some of the signs that, that you'll be looking for. None of them are, are a sign enough in a vacuum. You'll be looking for them all together. Um, and, then, and then, again, as I said before, with, with everything in parenting, when it comes to potty training, our job as a, as a parent is to create a supportive learning environment. And then that's our job. And our child's job is to, um, to decide when to use the potty, to decide um, or, or to, to learn um, his bodily signals and to know, oh, I, I, I'm about to do something in that diaper. But wait, uh, mommy told me or daddy told me that next time I could try to go in the potty. So offering that opportunity, creating the environment, not putting pressure, because when you're talking about toddlers, if you're putting pressure on your child, they're, going, they're contrarians, they're going to do the exact opposite. So if you say do it, they're going to say no. <laughs> So offer the opportunity, don't apply pressure. It will happen eventually. I promise. No one is going to go to college in a diaper. Yeah, right. Take some of the pressure off. Exactly. It's funny. I feel like somewhere that I've seen my little contrarians like grow and they're into their biggest and its biggest expression has been um through eating. Mm -hmm. And I think for mine, and I don't you know, everyone's story is different, but for mine, I feel like when they were younger, when they started to eat and through the first like couple of years they really ate pretty much everything I put in front of them. And now at four and five, they've entered this stage where they're really picky <laughs> about their foods. Um, and at first I was like, what is going on? Like, and then people who are ahead of me on the journey are like, that happened to me too. And then they came back around. Um, but I would just love for you to share maybe some of the ways we can really start to instill healthy eating habits when they're really young. And then if they, if that does change for a period, like, is that normal? And what do we do? It is so normal. I mean, it okay. is, you know, and, and I love, I love, I love how everything that we're talking about just kind of, it, it's all the same thing, right? There's just this theme. Um, it's about patience. It's about creating the, the right opportunities for your child for that learning environment. Um, and it's about not applying the pressure. But it is also normal for a child, especially a toddler to uh, a toddler and a preschooler to, um, to be contrarian and to try to exert some kind of control. If we're always controlling their environment or what they're doing or what they can do or what they can't do, whenever they have the opportunity to be able to be in control, to feel in control, they will take it. So with, when it comes to food, it is very, very common for kids to be picky. And, and you described how your children, when they were babies, when they were first starting solids, how they loved everything. They, they ate everything. 
and of course, right, because it's, I mean, not of course, some kids are picky even right from the start, but, but, but it's such an exciting sensory stimulatory opportunity or, or action for them. What is this thing on the spoon that tastes sweet or tastes weird or, you know, right? right? Like it's exciting for them. And so, um, so, so they, so that most babies will get very excited in the beginning. And then when they're toddlers and they realize I could say no, and I'm going to say no, and I'm not, I'm going to throw this thing off my tray or off my plate because I can't. Yeah. I have that power. Um, that's very different than what, you know, that a, than a baby who's just, you know, flinging their spoon because they can fling their spoon. Um, so it's very normal. Don't worry. Your kids are completely, you know, uh, uh, like every other toddler out there. Uh, you asked about some of the things that, that we can do as parents to help with this, to get through this picky stage, to set those, those healthy um, eating habits early on. I think that one of the most important tips that we can um, again, try to internalize as parents is not to bring emotion to the table. So that means not to really care what our kids are eating or what they're not eating. And that is really hard. I, again, I, I, when I say these things, I'm not saying it because it's easy. I'm saying it because again, I have that, that perspective of, of, you know, I have the expertise and I can say it, but I know in the moment it's, it's, very difficult. But again, as if we can remind ourselves as parents to do that, we'll be successful some of the time, at least. So if we bring emotion to the table, if we get upset that our child isn't eating what we put in front of them, if we get upset that they've only um, tried one bite, if we are pushing more food because we don't think they ate enough, whatever enough in our minds happens to be, then a, when they're younger, the, our, the babies are not going to associate positivity with mealtime. And then when they're toddlers and they are picky, then it's going to become a power struggle because mommy's pushing another bite and I can say no. So one of the best things that we can do is offer the food. And again, you know, there's this there's this job um, distinction, right? Our job is to provide healthy food for our children, give them the opportunity to learn how to eat different foods, taste, textures, and then sit back because our child's job is to decide how much and whether to eat. That's great. So no, no child is going to starve themselves. Now, again, obviously, uh, if, if your child is, you know, has health issues and, you know, that, that's a different story. We're talking about just, you know, the general child. A child is really, really good at a baby even and a toddler is really good at listening to their own hunger cues and satiety cues, satiety cues. So let give them that opportunity to tap into that, because if we're always pushing food on them, one more bite, one more bite, they're going to start to learn I have to eat as much as daddy is pushing and not, I don't have to listen to, you know, that my tummy, which says it's full. So we don't want to create negativity at the high chair. We want to create a positive environment and we want to give our children that, that sense of autonomy at the table so that they can learn and uh, how to eat, when to eat, how much to eat, um, to listen to their hunger cues and, and to have this positive um, association with eating and and like with most most phases, with most kids, picky eating will pass. That, you know, certainly there are some kids who have sensory issues. Again, there's there's ways to help with that. Um, there are kids who really are very very picky because of certain medical conditions. There are ways to help with that as well. So, um, but in general, leave the emotion away from the table. Allow your child to eat what she wants, what he wants, how much, um, and when really. Le- teaching them as part of it, just learning how to listen to themselves and trust their own bodies, right? 
Exactly. And that's such an important lesson to trust their own body, just like we let them trust their own body when they're learning how to walk, right? We don't, um, we let them learn how, what balance means and, and how to, to lift one foot. I mean, that's a big deal, right? For a baby, right? To, to be standing and then to lift one foot and propel forward. We trust them to trust their own bodies. So we should do the same with eating. Trust them to listen to their bodies and to trust their own no pun intended, but gut instinct. Yeah, yeah right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, I have one more question I want to ask you, get your advice on. I think for a lot of parents during those first few years, and we've talked about this, just the state of like sleep deprivation and exhaustion and overwhelm generally. I think sometimes myself and then women that I've spoken to in my community, you kind of get into these ruts or like these bad habits with your children just for survival, I think in the moment. So whether it is like, you know, letting them, whatever, whatever. And I don't even know if it's like a bad habit, but maybe something that's not really probably serving you best in the long term um, with sleep or with, you know, taking a bottle to bed or a pass fire. You, you could probably speak to this a lot more than I can, but if we find ourselves that we've been doing these things for the short-term survival, and then we get to a point where we're like, okay, we've got to change this. But now we have a baby or a toddler who's used to this way we've been doing things. I guess, how do we start to turn that ship around um, and and get, like, get our kid on the same page? I don't even know if that's the right way to say it, but just like kind of improve these habits without it being a huge power struggle. Yeah. So the first thing that I would say is don't, don't feel guilty about them because we are in survival mode as with young kids. We have to get through the day and however we get through the day with our kids, whatever we do to be able to put those kids to bed, feed them, clothe them, get them, you know, keep them healthy, bring them to doctor appointments, et cetera. That is surviving. And that is amazing. Yes. So, so we need to pat ourselves on the back and say, wow, we got through another day. So yes, there was a pacifier. Yes, there was a bot, right? Whatever it is, doesn't matter. Our kid has survived another day and we have survived another day. And that is first and foremost. And 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 as I said in the beginning, aside from safety considerations, that, that would be something like when you have a, a baby to put them on their sleep in an empty crib, right? With no uh, bumpers or pillows, which is a safety issue. All the other things are not are, are not something to worry too much about as parents. So yes, do the rules say X? fine. It's true. That would be the ideal, but that's ideal. And in an ideal world, and we don't live in an ideal world. So we should strive for that. We should strive to limit the pacifier, let's say to only sleep times after six months, right? That would be the recommendations. We should strive to, to never put the uh, a baby in the crib with a bottle. Strive for that. Absolutely. Strive to wean the baby off a bottle around 12 months. Absolutely. Strive to teach an open cup or a straw cup instead of a sippy cup. Absolutely. Right. All these things are things that our goals that we could try to reach. But if we don't, we shouldn't think of ourselves as falling short because it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. Eventually, your child will give up that pacifier. Eventually, your child will, will, will stop drinking a bottle. Um, eventually, you know, your child will sleep through the night. So whether we choose to sleep train or not sleep train, I actually call it sleep teach, not sleep train. But um, right, th- there's all things that we can do as parents. We can try to reach that 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 amazing goal of never having our our child contact nap. But sometimes that's the only thing that will get our kid to sleep. And that's okay. And and yes, it's short-term wins. If we keep the long-term battle in the back of our minds, right, we really should be trying to get our child to learn how to fall asleep on their own. 
this is what I do in coaching. I, you know, I'll give the, the strategies and the tips to, to parents. But I also say, just do the best that you can. And when you feel right, when you feel good about thinking that what you're doing is the right thing for your child, you will be the best parent for your child. And that's more important than anything else, because a parent who feels guilty about what they did, oh my God, I, I did this and I wasn't supposed to. That's worse for your child than doing the thing that you quote unquote weren't supposed to. Yeah. Be the best parent for your child and also probably enjoy a lot more of motherhood too, right? Yes. Yes. Right. Because if we're always feeling guilty that we're doing something wrong, then we're not, again, being able to take that step back and, and celebrating the wins. And there are wins. There are wins every day, even if we didn't follow any of the expert advice. Um, and we can try to follow the expert advice. So always have a goal for ourselves, right? We, we keep on talking about this journey and, and how we can learn ourselves. If we can learn to to, to get to a certain place, that's wonderful. If we don't get there every day, that's fine. If it takes us months to get there, that's also fine. Yeah, yeah I love that. That's a good perspective right? <laughs> going forward. Beautiful. Um, before we go, let everyone know where they can find you. Let them know where they can, or I don't know if the book's available for pre-order or whenever it'll be available, but just let us know where we can find you sure. and your resources. Yeah, so the book is available for pre-order. It's on Amazon or Goodreads or Barnes and Nobles. Um, it's called Bite Size Parenting: Your Baby's First Year. Um, so definitely check that out. Um, I, you could find me on um, Instagram uh, at Sharon Mazel. I post infographics daily. I do Q and As. I, um, I'm pretty active on Instagram, so you can always DM me. I, I answer 99% of my DMs. Um, and you can um, check out my blog and all my resources on um, my website, SharonMazel.com. I try to keep it easy. It's just my name everywhere. <laughs> but I have um, blogs there. I have e-guides. I have um, my courses. And um, and my coaching is there, too. You can, add, you can uh, send me an email anytime um, to schedule a coaching session with me. I love that. Yeah, pretty much whatever you're looking for <laughs> with young children, pregnancy, young children, um, Sharon has a resource for you so that's that's, that's what awesome. I'm trying like I said in the beginning I'm really trying to meet parents where they are today and offer different modalities of information gathering and 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 content absorption so have my hand in a lot of things but I love it I love being able to help parents and um, very gratifying for me and 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 and, and I just want to give parents that confidence to be able to trust their instincts trust their guts and to feel good about parenting Mm, beautiful. Well, as a mom of littles, I thank you. <laughs> I'm sure all the women listening, um, thank you. But thank you even for your time today and coming and, and sharing all of this with all of us. I know that there's so much gold in there that people are going to be walking away with. So really appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I loved our conversation. It was great. If you love mommy's polygraph, leave a review. If you enjoyed this episode, it would be so awesome if you could take a moment to subscribe and rate the podcast. And if you have just a few more seconds to leave a quick review, they really help to get this podcast out to other moms like you. I read every last review and trust me, when it's late at night or early in the morning before my kids get up and I'm working on bringing you all of this content, your reviews are what keep me going. Leaving a review is truly the best way you can thank me. And of course, DM me on Instagram at themotherhood.podcast. I love to hear from you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Motherhood Podcast. Head over to the show notes for this episode and all past episodes 
at michellegrosser.com, where you'll find free resources, information on how to join and participate in the Motherhood Village, and more ways to connect with me. If you love the show, share it with a friend. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you next time.